the Driven Women's Guide to Love, Life, and Business. Hosted by the boss ladies Alex and Gabby. Combined, their network gathers an array of women from various industries who exemplify strength and tenacity. Their fun and positive approach to life will awaken the boss in you. You're listening to Girls Gone Boss. Welcome to another episode of Girls Gone Boss. I'm so excited because we have someone that is just amazing in her own right, in her own lane, and, you know, she's an amazing publicist, but also someone that I really look up to. I've been wanting to have her on the podcast, Kanessa. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. I know that that detail was a little small to everything, all the amazing (laughs) things you're doing, but we'll get into all of that as we talk today. I've been excited for you guys. I've been seeing everybody that some of my personal friends, some of my industry friends, you guys have been interviewing and you guys are kicking ass. Can I curse? Yes. Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) With a lot of S's at the end. (laughs) Thank you so much. As you are, I have seen your growth in the industry and I'm so proud of you. Um, We can get into that, but let's get into like when you first, first, first were a little girl growing up in New York City. Tell us about that. Um, How was Kanessa? So growing up in New York City is very different. I know, I don't know where Alex is, but I know, Gabby, you're in Miami. Um, You're also in Miami? Yeah. It's very, very different. I grew up in Southside, Jamaica, Queens. A lot of people know it as like where 50 Cent grew up or where... Um, Nicki Minaj is from so they LL Cool J so I saw those people growing up but like oh my god someone keeps texting me sorry Um, and it was not the safest to be honest with you Um, you know I talked to my mom a lot about this but I was instilled a lot of fear because you couldn't just go outside and play Um, there was a lot of drunk people around it was just like gunshots it was not the safest neighborhood and I grew up with my mom as a single parent my dad left us when I was four Um, and it was hard because my mom had never worked a day in her life when she met my dad and she had to to you know be brave and that's where I learned being you know fearless because my mom's just like a badass B-I-T-C-H. Like, my mom started cleaning houses. My mom started, like, babysitting. My mom started just grinding. And she would take me everywhere. So I would go to all these rich people's houses in Long Island with my mom. And I would see all this, like, all these educated people. They would start falling in love with me. So they'll, like, take me with them to yoga or this or that. But the biggest thing was, like, there was a lot of fear. Like, at night, you know, my mom and I used to, I remember, fall asleep, like, literally hugging each other with our legs on top of one another another because it was, like, a lot of like violence outside in the middle and but to be positive I think the blessing was that in school um there was all types of cultures and I got to be friends with someone who was Asian Indian and kind of learn all of their cultures even in my building like my next door neighbor was Indian I used to ask my mom why does it smell like curry like it's uh, what's that smell and she was like it's curry and she would explain it to me so I think that was the that was pretty much kind of developing who I am, being open to different cultures. Um, me as a little girl, I was always a school nerd. Not a street person. Like, I have zero, like, <laughs> street type of credit, which I wish I, you know, I can have because that's part of the business today. But definitely a nerd. Um, quiet, very into myself, quirky. 
definitely quirky and a music junkie. Like my mom used to buy me CDs. I don't know if you guys remember the catalogs, but she was like, she wouldn't let me pick. So she'll pick like the album for, from Greece, the soundtrack from Greece or the Beatles or Carlos Santana. Like I know all these types of music because she's like, you need to be cultured because when you grow up, I want you to hold conversations with whoever you speak to. So that was pretty it. And, and for the most part, like I was a loner. Because I grew up with my mom. She's Dominican. Then my dad would come and get me on weekends. He's Colombian. And even though we're Latin, two different cultures. So I would speak Dominican to my dad and he would make fun of me. So have, by, the, by Monday, my mom was like, why are you speaking Colombian? <laughs> so it was a little bit always like back and forth. And they did their own lives eventually. And I have siblings from both ends. But it was definitely a loner path. I, I didn't feel like I fit in. And neither family. And I think that's what drove me to like dive into my career and school and just like literally just focus on that. Yeah. Speaking of, you started at 16 at your first job, right? Yes. So I started actually, um, I was able to graduate from high school at 15. I was pretty well advanced in AP classes and everything, but I was too young for them to release me based on New York, whatever, state laws or whatever for education. So they put me in a co-op program. And co-op programs are pretty much, you, you're still in school, but you're working. So you're getting college credit. And I started working for different offices. And then one day they were like, hey, um, there's an opening for City Hall for the mayor's office. And Small World, my best friend at the time, her aunt was like the office manager for the mayor's office. So they immediately did the paperwork. I got lucky and I started working there, um, you know, 20 hours a week or stuff like that. And, and I got my credit, but they kept me. I started as an office manager at the PR department and I used to, you know, help manage six different publicists, including the sec- the secretary of um, public relations. And yeah, I learned everything from there, literally, literally. And I did that until I was 21. So I went to school full-time, and I worked full-time. And then I had three jobs on the side. Damn. Oh, yeah. You were hustling. Yeah. My family, unfortunately, my mom, like, once my mom got married, her and my stepfather, who knows a lot about business, um, they started buying grocery stores and liquor stores and laundromats. And right before 9-11, unfortunately, someone intentionally burned all their businesses. At the time, they had four. So they lost everything in one night. And it got really hard for them financially. So my brother and my sister were little and they wanted to give them a better life. So they moved to Virginia. And I was like, I have the job of my dreams and I want to do PR. And, And I used to see Lizzie Grubman on the and TV reality shows, I'm like, I want to be her when I grow up, which is nowadays, I'm oh, like, funny. yeah, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. Especially, I, I, I recently, not too long ago, worked with her. I was like, I'm good. But it was a good start. But I was like, no, this is going to take me into entertainment, I promise. And my mom's like, are you sure? So she left me behind. And at 16, even though I was working, I was roommating with a, like a 65-year-old lady. Because <laughs> I had no one to stay with. So that's why I had all these jobs and I had, I had to just hustle and grind. I love that because that really has instilled work ethics since the very beginning. Like I could see why 
like you you are where you are today because that has been instilled with you for such a long time. And then to be a 16 year old, I could just imagine I have a 16 year old niece and I can never imagine her. she's very independent too, but like, damn, you really had to be super independent living like on your own, figuring it out and having that work ethic and responsibility from a very young age. Yeah. Well, my parents always like my dad's a workaholic like a severe workaholic. My dad loved to work. My mom too, but my dad, I would go to work with him. I would go to work with my mom and they would teach me. They'll be like, this is how, when you're at a job, this is how you, whatever, this is how you do this. If we're on a highway, my dad would be like, okay, this highway takes you here. If I was on the train with my mom, she's like, in case of anything, this is the train you have to take in case I lose you. Cause it would always get crazy in New York city trains. And as little, you know, they'll bump into you and all that stuff. So my parents were always teaching me like, paths I think I learned that paths and just being nice to people and like you have to work hard because that's all you have that's all they kept saying and my mom's like I'm not rich but the most I can give you is an education but um yeah they left me when I was 16 it was kind kind of interesting because all my friends are in high school they're hanging out outside their parents are buying them stuff and they're helping me you know they're coming over and helping me go food shopping <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know how to make food but we figured it out but yeah, that's dope. I think what are some of the most valuable lessons that you got from working as a 16 year old and just building that, you know, that hustle very young that you feel like you still have today that you took from then? Um, being authentic to yourself, I learned that um, it, it was very hard to be true to myself but I think the biggest thing for me during that time because there's so many cycles in my career in my life I've been doing this for 22 years so I think at that moment it was like my dream was to be in entertainment my dream was to work with celebrities my dream was and it wasn't for the vanity of it it was just like genuinely I wanted to be part of that world and create an impact and tell stories and I think for me at that time it was dreaming I didn't stop dreaming I didn't stop dreaming for a long time. I think maybe now the dreams have slowed down. The dreams are different. They're more personal than business. But um, yeah, I didn't stop dreaming and I didn't stop like knocking down on doors. Even though I was in City Hall, I would go to interviews for entertainment jobs and they would tell me no. I would go to interviews every week. And they're like, well, your resume is very political. It's based and, you know, you're going to college for criminal justice. And I was just like, I couldn't get into a school that accepted me for PR. So I literally learned it all on the job. So I think dreaming and asking questions, those are the main values for me and speaking up. And also, I I like the fact that you were in a different field, but that didn't stop you. You know what I mean? Like, because I did too, like all of us, when we first started, we kind of didn't know where to start because nowadays I feel like kids have an advantage. There's like social media, there's places where you can just directly slide into people's DMs and maybe connect that way. Before we had to like, just pretty much hustle. Like my mom didn't know any entertainment people to hook me up with. So I love the fact that we were still maybe in things that maybe we weren't so into, but we still were like trying to figure out how to get in there, you know? Yeah, I got it. I was very blessed because my first press release was at 17 that I wrote. Um, my first pitch, like in City Hall, they have this thing called the press room. So every reporter from every publication you can think of is there. It's like the White House. They have the New York Times sitting next to the New York Post. And my boss was like, you want to be a publicist? 
here, take this media alert, tell them that they need to be outside in 10 minutes for a press conference. Mind you, the press conference was about like the most boring legislative topic you can think of. And I had to go at 17 and like ask everyone to go outside. And it was they're like, why do I need to go if the New York Post is going? And the, literally the, the New York Post is sitting next to the New York Times. And I'm like, oh, my God, can you just go for me? Because my boss is like, I want to sh show my boss. And they were like, no, nope, pitch me. So the reporters also gave it back to me. But um, what was I going to say? I don't know that that experience. I'll never change it for the world because. Even though I went to a school that was criminal justice, my bosses kept telling me college is all that, you know, is just a paper of, of, of reading and writing and telling the, 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 the workforce world that you know how to read and write. You're just going to gain from work experience. So take any free job, take any meeting that's like for information. Like, and that's what I did. Like, even though, like, I became friends with all my bosses at the PR thing, I would sit next to them, like, can I see how you write a press release? Can I see how you pitch this reporter? Um, besides doing press clips, which that's why I wear glasses, because they used to make me read 25 newspapers from all parts of the world and the city um, every morning and clip out every, every mayor clip. And I'm like, oh, my God. But all that stuff made me read. Like, I read every morning. Um... I turn on the news, like social media is a source of, of news for me, but not really. So I, I literally still read every day. You and, read um, physical newspapers? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you give me... Not, yeah, now that I'm not going to the office, I don't buy the, the four or five top newspapers, but I do read them on my phone. You give me super Sag vibes. Are you a Sagittarius? I am a Sagittarius. You are? Oh. Yeah. You have <laughs> yeah. that hustler, don't give up mentality but I can tell you that you're incredibly compassionate as well so oh, yes. yeah so I can, I I just got and that vibe oh really yeah I'm <laughs> we're super into zodiac so, <laughs> so I love to like analyze people and then I'm like okay I think that she's a Sagittarius so that's that's pretty crazy um were how many like how are you facing obstacles though as a young Latin woman and how were you able to overcome those obstacles at such an early age in your career? I'll give it to you like in three different cycles of my career, because when I was at City Hall, I was there for four and a half years. We started at Giuliani, I started at Giuliani, then Bloomberg. And then from there, I went into full-blown entertainment agency. And then I did Robert De Niro for a couple of years and the, the story keeps going. But the three phases of my career, like at City Hall, which was the beginning, I was just a number, pretty much. How many people are Hispanic that are working for us in the press office? How many people are black in the office that we're hiring? And then our boss was like, white. <laughs> so in politics, in that setting, you're just a number, and that was hard. Um, because they reminded you all the time. In the agency world, throughout my career, because I've been through a lot of agencies, my accent was a problem. My weight was a problem because you remember, Gabby, I was a thick girl and I lost a lot of weight. But um, they always would criticize me about my accent, especially when I get nervous. The Latin accent kicks in or some words like past tense, you know, in terms I'll think uh, I'll think of it in Spanish, but I, I say it wrong in English. I got that a lot. I would write that way, too, because I write in Spanish. Um, I was always an obstacle or them telling me, like, you need to be a certain weight or image 
because you, I was always the only Latin publicist in every agency or everywhere I worked. It was always all the Blanquitas there and I'm always the Latin girl with the heavy accent and the loud colors because they, they used to tell us, oh, you have to wear black, you're a publicist. I would come in with like bright orange for a red carpet. I didn't care and they're like, Knossi, you gotta wear a black shirt. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm never gonna do that whole black thing. And I've never done it to this day, to this day. Um, those are obstacles and then Recently, when I started my companies and all that stuff, the obstacle as a Latin woman was I wanted to enter the Latin market. I was always in Anglo. I was always general market. But I was I always dabbled into my friends that worked in the Latin industry, especially in music. And at the beginning, it was hard because they're like, well, you're not part of this Latin circle. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> especially in Miami, the Latin publicists and all that or the managers. Yeah, we don't know you. Who's who's your client? Oh, no, that's too Anglo. But then things shifted and changed. And I felt like a little bit, I'm not going to take the full credit, but I was part of that. And I'll give some stories. But like Nati Natasha, when she was with Don Omar, she was, you know, in all his features. And she was my client when I first started. I took her to her first fashion week to a, a Daisy Fuentes show, you know. And now look at her now. She's at Oscar de la Renta. So it's like though I contributed to those little things or like other other clients too. Like my passion was always to cross market. They didn't understand at the beginning because it was so territorial. And now everybody's like, oh, we need to call Knessa. Oh, we need to work with Knessa. Or a lot of my peers, you know, who I support a lot. Um, now they're doing what I'm doing or trying to do it. And I don't even tell them no. I'm like, here, you need a contact at today's show. I'm happy to give it to you. I don't mind. Or, hey, I passed on this client, that client, I'm happy to give it to you. Because I'm just very particular now. Because now I'm like, okay, now I have to protect my, what I've created. Because so many people said no. But I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I also don't, don't put negative energy into it. Because I do help us. Yeah, you're just careful. So what, how did you transition from politics into entertainment then? Um, under the Bloomberg administration, every year we would do, um, Italian Heritage Night. So every year we would give a proclamation to a celebrity that's Italian. And that year was Robert De Niro. And I got along with his publicist, who's a legend in the Hollywood industry, like literally a legend. He represents like Tom Cruise, etc. And we got along because I was his point of contact. And he goes, I like you. You're very witty. I was like, okay, cool. I was like, well, I'm sassy because I'm Latin. He goes, I like you even more. So we just started talking. We stayed in touch. Um, my bosses would tell him you should, you know, use her as an intern, et cetera, et cetera. I was about to graduate college and I went in one day to meet with him for coffee because I literally stalked him. And he was like, I have an intern position, but it's for no money. And I was like, what? <laughs> he was like, it's no money. I'm like, well, I'm getting 23000 at City Hall. I just finished college. I got to survive. And he goes, you either take it or you leave it. So I took it. So I started bartending. I worked at the U.S. Open. I did a babysitting. I worked at a dental office. I had so many jobs because I was like, this is what I want. And funny enough, I interned for him, but my job was to be at Robert De Niro's house with his wife, Grace. And I would be their liaison. Like whatever the PR runs are like press clips or bring them up to speed or set them up for his meetings or whatever. That was me. And I did that for like a year. It wasn't fun <laughs> at all. So I learned really quickly. And then they transitioned me into the Tribeca Film Festival team. That was 2004, 2005. And man, 
I loved it. I did like 80 red carpets that year. I met every celebrity. I learned how to work with brands, the film stuff, everything, editors, you name it. And um, right after that, I transitioned to work for Rubenstein, which is one of the biggest PR agencies in New York. And I still stayed on those two accounts, but I worked on the New York Jets, the Giants, um, Trump, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> Um, the Michael Jackson account, the Oprah account, the, the Hillary Clinton account, the David Letterman account. So I learned so much. And the beauty of working with them is they just put you in any position. Or if, if that day there was a red carpet and they're like, and you wanted to do it, you can go do an HBO carpet. So it wasn't limited. And, but, you know, the pay was lower than what I made in City Hall. And I'm 20-something trying to, you know, make it. And that was short-lived. That was like two years there. And then I transitioned into hospitality and then I did tech PR. And then I was like, okay, I'm trying to learn all of these types of PR because like, I'm like, when I open up my own entertainment in, um, industry type of agency, I want my celebrity clients to be like, Hey, I want to build this empire. And I know how to do every PR that represents them or give them ideas to start, you know, new businesses or, or introduce them to different people. So I built from there and then at the age of 28, I became a, a, a partner at a small agency. And that agency, we represented the Daily News, Central Park, Fordham University, um, the Fiber Bike Tour. Um, I did Chris Humphreys and Kim Kardashian's wedding because we represented Chris Humphreys. Um, and just through all that experience, it kept showing me that Latinos were very powerful at the time, especially with the daily news because they were our biggest demographic and with Fordham. And I'm like, man, I need to figure out something to cross over. And yeah, I got difficult after that because I left my very big, you know, salary job. And I started a company with a girl um, that I met through Chris Humphreys. And I'm like, yeah, she's Dominican. I'm Dominican. We're going to do this short lived six months I was miserable we I was up at six she was up at two o'clock I'm like this just didn't work and it really and I was bringing in all these clients it just it just got worse and worse and worse and then um after that I lost everything because I put all my money that I had into that business and I left her with everything it was just so toxic and I started couch surfing I was couch surfing and one day I told my cousin when I was sleeping on her couch, I was like, I need to start my own business. Why am I so scared? And she's like, girl, just pick a name, do this. And I started doing the research of doing everything. And I did it from her couch. She lent me the money, but it got worse after that. I was so into starting this company, but I had no clients. Some of them came with me, but they were paying me like 500 a month, which is nothing. But I couch surfed for three years. So Gabby, when you met me, I was homeless. I had no home. Um, I couldn't afford it because with this girl, we got into so much debt. Like she started getting investors. She got this luxurious loft for us to start. And those bills were like literally, um, I still had to pay for them, even though I didn't live there. Like this like $6,000 loft, I had to pay it because my name was on it. My credit was on it until the lease ended a year later. And then this investor that we took all this money from, which she used it, I don't know with how and what to this day. And I had to pay it off for like three years after that. So all the money I had, it was always to go back to all those expenses that I didn't even like 
agreed to occur. And then she took me to court. We went, we took each other to court and I was just like a mess. Wow. A mess. So the first three years of dynamic theories that I started, I literally slept in a lot of people's couches. And my biggest like dream was to have a home. I don't care what type of home. I just wanted a home. I just wanted my own apartment. And I finally got it <laughs> three years later. But um, it's, you know, it's been a struggle. Besides that, it, it, it became a double life, too. I would go to red carpets or travel with a client because they paid my way to go with them. And I, I didn't have a home. Like, I had another life. Like, I'm literally sleeping on couches, but I'm being in the most luxurious rooms or meetings or events. And I had to, like, I lived in bags. Like, I would, like, so I didn't, like, overdo my, my you know, my contacts. I would take a little bag. I would go to my cousin's house one day. Then I'll go to another aunt. Then I'll stay with a friend. And then, you know, all my stuff was in my dad's garage. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. So what, where was, what kept you going during that time? Because easily, you know, you could just be like, damn, I don't think I could do this anymore. It could have been super discouraging at that time. But something within you kept you going, kept you dreaming, right? I got to tell you, like, it was just survival mode for me. Um, that's why, like, for me, okay, I was dreaming about having a home. I was have, I wanted to have, like, clients that would pay me a certain amount so I can have a home, so I can, you know, get a little bit better. It wasn't more of, like, okay, I'm going to have... I want to have more clients because I want to hire someone or I want to have a luxurious office or I want a, a car. To this day, I still don't have a car. <laughs> but <laughs> No, but I'm frugal. I'm a, I'm a little frugal. But in terms of like, my thing was just to survive. Like, when I first started my, when I first started my job at Robert De Niro's office, I think it was like three weeks in and I was telling Gabby this, I had a severe accident. I, I was taking a shower. I was rushing. And um, I slipped because the, the tubs in New York City are, are, are sl a slippery and then the water just sprinkles like hot water, like, like not sprinkles, but like, like blasting hot water from time to time because the plumbing is so old and I got burned and I, I slipped and I fell and, I, and I, I was in a tub for like hours in hot water, boiling hot water. So I, I suffered third degree burns around my body, more on the lower part of my body. And someone found me because they heard me scream. And I was in the hospital during the first six months of my job. I was in the hospital. And I had two skin graft surgeries. And I got to tell you, I still worked from the hospital. Like that next, that, that day that I got admitted, I was crying to my mom because she came from Virginia. And I was like, no, this is like the dream, my job dream. She goes, okay, chill, just take a day. I was like, no, I need to like work. I have an assignment. I, they got me a computer so I can work from the hospital and I did it. I did it for six months. That didn't stop me. And I had to go through therapy and all this stuff. And I would do everything. And I was not ashamed of it. I was not. I, and I, I had a mission. My mission was to A, do what I want to do. B, like, just, just do it for myself. I think that was the biggest thing. And I don't know. I come from a survival type of. You're a New Yorker. You're a New yeah. Yorker. That's so, like ingrained in you. Yeah. So I've been through so many hurdles. You know what I mean? And then when I started Dynamic Theories, which the reason I, I picked that name was because you have to create a theory to be dynamic. And there has to be several theories to make you dynamic. 
And funny enough, I, my signature said, be bold, be you. And then all of a sudden, all these <laughs> two or three years later, all these brands started using it. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. But during that time when I first started, I was like, I'm just going to get any client. You want to pay me 500? Cool. You want to pay me 500? Look, ANX, I don't, you know, I'm dying to get into the Latin industry. You guys have the biggest song with Don Omar. Pay me 500 a month. I don't care. Henry Santos from Aventura, you just left the group. Pay me, pay, pay me $500 <laughs> to be your publicist. And I started doing those little things and then getting them into the Anglo market, which I knew, but still learning the Latin market, which was very hard. And trying to stay like mentally sane with everything going on um, behind me was hard. But all those clients just started happening, happening, happening. ANX introduced me to Jackie Cruz from Orange is the New Black. And that's where my life changed. I give, I give a lot of credit to Jackie and I adore her because we became really good friends. She was so, so supportive. I think all my clients have been supportive. Like they, you know, you talk to them and they're like, oh yeah, Kness is like passion is like beyond. But I, I told her what to do. I told her what to wear. She didn't know anything. She was just starting. Even though she had a background, you know, being on some reality shows and stuff, this was all new. Then she introduced me to Selenis and Dasha and Jessica. And you, I started at, at, at the point where Hollywood was shifting, where they were hiring people that were regular people like me or like my cousin or like us and very Latin, but they had no idea on how this industry worked. So that gave me an opportunity. I had Jackie as a client. Um, Dasha came a, a year later, but um, I had Jackie as a client for a year at the beginning and all the girls of Orange, they're like, I like how your publicist works. I have this white publicist. And man, they don't understand me. And they're like, well, talk to Kanessa. Then you had some of the black girls from the show. They were like, yo, I dig what, you, what you're doing for Jackie. I was like, okay. And then I started working with her, with Vicky, with Adrian, then Dasha. Then next thing I know, I have like four oranges and new black girls. And I'm in season two with them. And it's blowing up. And I'm working with all of them. Then they become my clients. Then I'm introduced to, I don't know if you guys know Anthony Mendez. He's a narrator of Jane the Virgin. So I started with him season one. And then I transitioned out of like the Nazis and the Henry Santos of the day and the ANXs because like, I was like, okay, this is, this is crazy. This is coming into a different situation. And then by season four, five, six, I just had Dasha because her and I were just more... We understood each other as Dominican women. We had almost the same upbringings and a lot of the same hardships. And I was so, I don't know, we related. We had the same passion. She's a Sag. Mm. She was just always open. Like, I would, uh, for me styling her, for me getting whoever for her, for me getting her free stuff for partnerships, for me telling her story, it would be where I got her the cover of Latina magazine. Mind you, there's like six other Latinas on the show to get one of them. That yeah. cover, it's me pushing and pushing and telling people the story and it worked. And then from there, Anthony got bigger. And then from there, I got bigger clients and it started just, I got Denise and that's how I met Gabby too. And Denise became big, you know, with her curves and everything. I just started just transitioning into a thing of crossover, crossover, crossover. But I didn't stop asking life and energy for my superstar. I was waiting for my superstar. Everybody, not a superstar, girl. What? 
You got a superstar. I got the superstar. I did. But I think that was so vital. I think adding you to the team was so vital for that, like, last big push. You know what I mean? I think we're talking about the same guy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's been amazing because all my clients have been Latin. And I've been very blessed to globally introduce them to new worlds. Like, I remember when Dasha and I went to Paris Fashion Week for the first time. You know what I mean? And she didn't know what the hell was going on, but she was just taking it on all in. And I, I was I was proud because I've been through it. You know, I, I represented Elon Musk's mom for so many years. And, like, we just stopped working working with her. But through that experience, I was able to, okay, now my, my girl's coming to Paris. I'm going to show her how it works. And it was just, like, it was a good feeling to be part of someone's new, new way of living. I think for all my clients, even for Maluma that I represent now, or even a residente that I represent now, every time I bring something different to their life, like their excitement to see them, that just makes me so happy. And that's what I work hard for is to, to strive for, for breaking barriers and making them part of that with their own stories and being their authentic self, you know? So I think it's important to also for you to kind of just for our listeners, a lot of them are, you know, college students, maybe like aspiring publicists. I think, you know, what our knowledge or their knowledge of, of what a publicist does, like it goes far beyond because as you have proven, it's not just like, oh, let me write a press release and let me like, you know, it's far more it's like a strategic thing that you're doing. So you not only, you know, represent them for, through media, but you give them opportunities outside of just that, which includes in different realms, right? So can you yeah. explain a little bit more of what it is that you do and what publicists also have the capability of doing? Yeah, well, now I'm a manager. <laughs> oh, really? Good for yeah, you. I've, I've been managing. Well, I funny enough, when I did started Henry Santos PR, mm-hmm. I transitioned into being his manager. Um, I don't know why, but like people start just like gravitating towards what I think, um, my passion, um, the people I know, because I've always from day one, my, the biggest, the biggest feedback my bosses always gave me was you over service our clients. Why are you over servicing them? Why are you doing more than just media work? It's called public relations for a reason. And sometimes I don't understand manager, like managers roles because sometimes they're just there. (laughs) But, um, you know, it's more than that. It's introducing them to different trends or creating new trends and introducing them to history, introducing them because history just whether it's for fashion or music, whatever, it does repeats itself. It's introducing them to people that can open one door, developing their own contacts and Rolodex because they have more power than I do. You know what I mean? Sometimes we go to meetings, they're not going to want to talk to me, but guess what? My client, they're not going to talk to me, but if we're in that meeting, my client's already prepped. They know what they're going to walk into. Like I'm very anal about those things because they have to come in with the confidence. And I think that a lot of the publicists and managers that I've, I've met throughout the years and years and years, they don't prepare them. These are humans. These are human beings. And that's the delicacy that I treat my clients. And so does my business partner, Nancy. And that's why I gravitated towards her, which that's a different story. But we take care of them like they're our families. I talk to my clients more than I talk to my mother. You know what I mean? Like, 
I don't spend Christmas with my family or or Thanksgiving because I'm always with a client. I'm traveling somewhere, literally. So I have to treat them like humans that they are. And they're like kids. You have to nurture them. You have to teach them and, 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 and help them evolve. And I think that's the essence that a lot of these people are missing. It's not just pushing paper. It's not just pushing a press release. It's developing real people to become business entrepreneurs and grow outside of what just they're doing because besides having a voice you can get into other industries and start developing an empire and I think that's why we have a little bit amount of clients I've always kept the minimal because I've always wanted them to branch out of just what they're doing and become something bigger so the world can see it's possible yeah it's super aspirational and I love your website I love that you guys get shit done (laughs) Oh my God. Well, let's get into that because now you partnered with Nancy. Now you have TS Collective. Yes. So I'll tell you the story about that. So funny enough, Nancy, I met Nancy through Jackie because I did a an, a beauty event for Jackie with a brand I connected her to. And I'm, I'm like, Jackie, we got to invite all the orange girls because it's going to be a PR moment. So I was telling all the other publicists, Jackie was telling her friends. And that day I met Nancy, like we hit it off. She was representing Taryn Manning, um, Jessica Pimentel, and then the two guards. So she was also on the, you know, Orange is the New Black kick. And we got along. Like she was like, yo, you're you're funny. I like you. You're like this like sparky Latina that doesn't like. Where is Nancy from? Nancy's um, Korean. Okay. So I was like, I like you too. And we just started getting along and then, you know, sharing notes being part of the PR girls for Orange is the New Black and her seeing always me like seeing me in events and then one day we sat down and I'm like who are you and she's like who are you so we started talking and she's done everything from styling to working at nightclubs with celebrities to talent wrangling to working at one of the biggest advertising agencies and giving Usher his first Twix commercial to you know so many other things and then getting to know her as a person like being adopted, coming from, you know, Seoul and not knowing who her family was to to her own tragedy, you know, with her adopted family. And then just being this strong, independent woman and just like me kind of being loners in a way. That's why we relate so much to one another. What sign is Nancy? She's a cancer. Mm. Even though I think she's a Gemini, I keep telling her because she gives me a lot of Gemini tendencies. But, um, you know, we we just got along, like literally and she understood me and then I started the more clients I started getting I started getting busier so it's so hard for me to pitch or go to red carpets and be with May Musk in Paris and then have Dasha on a carpet like it was just so hard for me so she started helping me and we worked together for four years no yeah four years during uh dynamic theories and just last year I was like if I don't make this girl my business partner I was like I'm probably gonna regret it but I was also scared because I came back. I came from a partnership that was very broken and horrible. And she did, too. She had the worst experience as well. So one day we just sat down. I was like, I think we're going to make this something. She goes, oh, you want to get married? I was like, whatever that means. So we started TS Collective talking about it before the pandemic. And then when the pandemic hit, we started doing all the paperwork. And then we launched in May. But we wanted to make sure people felt the pinch because they used to call us the dynamic duo. That's why it also kept convincing me we have to partner with one another. We did everything. We do everything for our clients. She does styling. 
and image and social media and, and creative content for a lot of our clients. And then I'm doing the managerial stuff and the PR stuff or vice versa with her. Like we manage Quincy, Puff's son, and it's been for two and a half years and we do everything, manage his music, his style, his fashion, his branding, his social media content. We do creative work together. And even with May, we did all that stuff too, you know, like how does a 70 year old woman get, you know, deals and how, how to make her come out of the box. And we broke a lot of the anti-aging conversations during that time. But, you know, that's what, that's who we are. We're just like, we can't just be this because this comes from all the other, all these other things like styling. How are you communicating on social media? How do you talk? Who are you? Like we lift up the hood and we're like, okay, where can, where does the work start? on this engine or on this car. And that's what we do. That's why it's called collective because we do a little bit of everything um, to have people have longevity. We're not apologetic for it. Either you like it, cool. If you don't, bye. Like it's, it's that simple. Even when we do proposals, that's our price. You like it? No? Okay, then we run for you. Even with our clients, when we are in arguments and they're not agreeing and we're like, Okay, we do this for a living. We've gotten you to this point and you're disagreeing. Either you take it or you want to go the other route. Sometimes we let them go the other route and then we have to clean up later. And we're like, we see we had to clean up. Stop your shit. And we, you know, we talk to our clients direct, straightforward. And we tell managers, for those that we don't manage, if we don't have direct ac access to the artists or whoever we're talking to, this is not going to work. No, but whatever. It's not going to work because... You're not them. We don't know what you like, what they like through you. So we have to have that relationship because then I understand their vision and where they want to go. And I think the beauty of that has been, especially like a Maluma, that I started working with him two years ago. And it started like that a little bit, even with Quincy and before we started, started managing him. And there were so many barriers. And I was just like, why? You guys want all of these things? I can't do that. If I'm not in touch with the person, I need to get to know the person. And it's been just magic since then, at least with the Maluma stuff, because... Well, tell us about that, because I think everyone can relate. Everybody knows who Maluma is. They have seen his rise. They have seen his star shine even brighter. Um, and you've been, you've been a very big part of that. So tell us how, you know, finally you ended up in the Latin world and working for the biggest artist there is. Yeah. Tell us about that. Um, I'm proud of all my clients, to be honest with you. Like, Residente, like, he's my mom's favorite artist. And, you know, I, was, I first saw him years ago in, in the early 2000s, be the first one to actually cross over, perform at MTV, be in movies, everything that all these guys are doing. He did it being himself and unapologetic. So when we do get clients... We like to make sure we have the same essence because if not, we literally ask managers, can we talk to the client before we even submit a proposal or after we do, because this is not going to work. I'm not going to work harder than the client. I'm not. And once that happens, then we, Nancy and I always are like, okay, we got to let this person go because I'm not working harder than they are. So with him seeing that and I'm like, oh my God, he's an icon. And immediately, you know, his, his management was like, we, we heard about you through Spotify. Funny enough, who knows is who's watching your Instagram? Um, Rocio from 
and um and angie from from spotify recommended me to them they're like you need to talk to this girl like she doesn't have a lot of big clients but you need to talk to her and they were like cool they introduced me to him and he was like come over i'm like come over where he's like come to my house i like to meet people in person i'm like okay i go over that night to his house he actually lived across the street from spotify at the time and he goes, we're going to have dinner with my girlfriend. I said, okay. <laughs> and he goes, and we're going to Jesse Reyes' concert. I was like, okay. Okay, so we're hanging out the whole night. He goes, I need to hang out with you to know if you're going to be part of my team. I was like, okay. Didn't expect that, but cool. Had dinner, started talking. He was like, you're interesting. I was like, you're interesting too. Then we went to Jesse Reyes. At the time, I didn't know who she was, but I saw her like explosive stuff and at the moment, his assistant wasn't picking up the phone. There was a communication of going backstage that kind of fell apart. I figured it out, got him backstage. And he's like, I like you, you figure shit out. And it was just from there on, like brainstorming, being part of those marches for Puerto Rico that July of 2019, doing the Bellacoso with Bad Bunny, trying to keep him to come into the new generation. Even during the pandemic, doing two crazy music videos, you know, him, telling people how he feels about his depression to 80 kisses from different parts of the world and keeping I love him, that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keeping him true to himself. Um, and now we're doing bigger things in the big screen, which I'm proud to be part of that now. He's having a, an amazing announcement soon. And that's a transition, you know, and, 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 and being part of that transition. And same thing with Maluma. Like, Man, I've been through it with Maluma. People think it's like, it's easy. Even with Residente, it's not easy. It's not. Like, how many times I have to tell certain reporters, you need to write about this person, this person's this, give them all different angles. And when Maluma took the fashion route, because he genuinely loves fashion, understands it, wants to understand it. And, you know, it hasn't been easy. I got a lot of no's. I still get no's from time to time. You know, and now he's part of this wave that's like, Latin is the new global pop and you know it's so hard but he gives me so much bandwidth and he's he'll call me he's like Kay what do you think about this or Kay what do you want me to do and that's the beauty of working with someone when they let you guide them and educate them like when we went to Paris he's like he told his team I just want Kay to to guide us whatever Kay says blah 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 so I from there I just started earning everything and 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 fighting with his team because his management team I gotta tell you they're amazing they trust me as well I, even though I've gained their trust but like they also listen to me and I'm, I'm helping them bring him some major fashion brand deals that you know we just announced yesterday his a VMA's look that he designed with Olivier from Balmain made Paris Fashion Week and we're doing a lot more there in that space but um but yeah you know it's gaining their trust but you have to I love it because we and- you're definitely you're definitely pioneering the crossover. Why do you think um, Latin is so like I guess underrepresented in the mainstream? And you know, I just I just love the fact that you're trying to like bring more of the diversity in and and bringing more of that visibility in the mainstream because at the end of the day, we're in a global market and Latin music is you know it's it's, it's like growing by the minute. So it just makes sense, but it still doesn't make sense for some people. Like you said, you still have to convince people. Why do you think it's still so underrepresented? Well, at least in the media 
landscape of things um there's still a lot of old school i hate to make it racial but it is white editors editor-in-chiefs in charge they're not they're not open to more of what the young generation is gravitating to they don't care to educate themselves or even be open to hearing it um i am very blessed that a lot of the people whether it's branding or or publications or TV shows, at least there's one Latino fighting for us internally. And they are the ones that really have helped those people educate them and have them understand the power that we have and the voices that we have. So in terms of it being still underrepresented, I think it's changing though. I really do. I really do. Like I went to Qatar and Dubai and Maluma's playing all over the radio. They have Latin radio stations. So that does say a lot of, of what we're doing and seeing a lot of my clients even, you know, partner up with like artists from Morocco and different parts of the country and in the world. It's it's amazing. Like I just crossed over Maluma into China just recently. So, you know, even that culture, a lot of Latin people have never been part of that entertainment world because Asians didn't want to understand it. More Koreans and Japanese. But in China, it's the hardest market, and now they're being more open because it sounds more pop. Mm-hmm. And it's starting to, to sound more pop, you know? And I think the, uh, the other reason why we call ourselves collective is because we also work with other people around the world. Like, we have partners in Asia that do PR management. We have partners in Europe. We have partners in the Middle East, and they all help us. And in Africa, we just hired a girl in Africa to work with us. They tell us how the markets are, so we start helping management and, and our clients kind of do strategy plans of what works for those markets. That's why we've been able to um, bring like Elon's mom to China in, in December and and now Maluma in there. And then we did both of them in the Middle East. And then with Quincy, we did in Japan recently. So, you know, we we do like to do our homework and work with other people to make us, to help to help us make our clients bigger. But Latin is, it, it, it's getting there though. I know, I'm so proud of us. Yeah. With our just, I just think we need to work with one another and support one another more than criticize one another. That's so true. With a lot of your success, though, there's ha- there has to be a lot of sacrifices, right? In your personal life, too. Not just, like, in career or everything else. But So what are some of those sacrifices that you have had to kind of go through in order to be successful and run this firm and be what I like about you Canessa is that it's how much you trust your you put trust in your clients and how much your clients trust you and I think that that transparency is what's setting you guys aside from everybody else and they're so what are some of those sacrifices though there's been so many sacrifices um This question makes me very, very emotional because people have no idea the amount of stress. Like I've, I've, I don't live a normal life. Like I try to as much as I can. That's why like I still live in Queens, I'm moving to the Bronx. Like I don't live in a high rise in Manhattan. I don't live, I don't, you know, drive the luxury cars. I try to keep myself so grounded because a lot of the sacrifices have been not seeing my family on a consistent basis. Like there's been times that I haven't seen my family for two years straight because I've been on the road. Like before the pandemic, I was on a plane 
every other day. I used to go to LA for a meeting for six hours in the first flight out and be on the last flight out back in. And then once I landed, take a shower and go into the office and do it like nothing happened, you know, or go around the world in different different continents and like not see my family. You know what I mean? That, that's been a very big sacrifice because I have siblings and I've unfortunately because of my career, I haven't had a, ch- a chance to develop a relationship with them. So that's been hard. But the beauty of it is my mom, because I didn't have anybody that would just pick up my call at any time while traveling, my mom has become my best friend. Um, not having a family, like I'm 36. I don't have a family in terms of what I've created. I, don't, I haven't had a stable relationship. And now I'm in a new relationship and I'm very excited because I finally found someone, and maybe it's all about timing, but who's strong-minded, very supportive, but also teaching me how to put boundaries. I've never, ever put boundaries on anything, nothing. I'm always working. If I'm at a family function, I'm working. If like two years ago for for, uh, Thanksgiving, we're in the middle of a table, Maluma's team called me that he just did something I went into a a, a room and I started pitching from my phone and there's never been boundaries and he's teaching me that for sure. So I'm excited to what's to come. And I've never had a partner that also says, I want you to strive. I want you to change and holding me accountable also for how I've been living my life because I've picked up bad habits. You know, like I'll get up from the middle of a table and just start working and say, guys, I got to take a call and I'll be on a call for three hours. And not care about what everybody else, because I was so about work, work, work. So I'm learning that. But those are the biggest regrets. I don't have friends. Like a lot of my old school friends, I don't have them anymore. Because they changed while I'm growing. But at the same time, like you guys said success. I don't I don't feel I have success yet. I don't. Because I'm still in survival mode. I'm trying to now just save money, create, so I can build a, 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 a family. You know what I mean? It's not about competing it's not about being the best publicist or the best manager it's that's never been me i think for me it's more of like contributing to the people i represent so those have been a lot of sacrifices because people think you change but you don't it's just to every new level there's a new devil and i've learned that the hard way there's definitely a new a new devil in every level so so then what's what's your ultimate goal? When do you when do you feel that you reach success? For me See, the word success for me is very hard. I don't believe in it. I believe in just doing, do what's right, um, plan, be strategic and execute. And if it doesn't if the execution doesn't come out, do it again. Try to figure it out to make my vision for, for whoever I'm working with or for myself happen. So I think for me, success will probably be when I have a kid. And when I'm, success is gonna be probably when I'm able to balance a relationship, a marriage, kids, and my company, and my clients. That's gonna be success to me because this is just work. I've learned the hard way, you know? Um, this is just a career and I've lost, I don't regret it. I've lost a lot of years building and I'm at the point that I want to do something else, which is more in my personal life. But I think success will be the balance because I've never had balance. I love that because it's so true. As we get older, I think, Alex, you can relate to like some of the stuff that we probably thought was important 
end of the day, it's it just kind of gets smaller and smaller, and you realize the base is just family and love and being happy and healthy. Like yeah. it really comes down to those things. Yes, success and career and doing what you love. That's like added bonus. But like the core of it, it's just become so personal as we get older as women, I believe. Yeah. And all my clients, they're also centered. Mm-hmm. And I've learned from them as well. Like the Malumas of the day, the residentes of the day, their family comes first. They put boundaries from all of us, you know, like guys today, I can't like I'm burnt out. I need a day. I need a mental day. I need to do yoga in the morning. Do not schedule anything. Or or even with like Adasha, like same thing, <laughs> putting boundaries. They all put boundaries. And I'm, I'm very blessed because I learned from them as well. Sometimes they push, push, push. And they're like, okay, you guys, you guys need to stop. So I'm learning from them too. And they're very respectful. So, yeah. What advice would you give someone that wants to go into PR? Um, the advice I would give them is read, read a lot. And I'm not saying social media, but I mean, read, ask questions. Don't be scared to approach anybody with questions. We're not, none of us were born knowing. So if we don't ask, you won't know. Um, you have to also pick up on the different trends, be alert to trends. Um, don't be afraid to create your own trend. Um, but the overall thing is start somewhere. Sometimes it might not be the most luxurious way to start, but if you have a plan to figure it out, you will get to the end goal eventually. That's what happened to me. I did not want to be in politics or criminal justice, but I found a way and I was very persistent by, even though I went to the interviews for all those agencies, they said no, but my resume was there. Or I would ask them questions. So for the next interview, I got better. Or I, I, I knew why they said no, because I said the wrong thing with this one. So the next one, I would get better. Sometimes you don't need to have that experience. You just need to, again, ask questions, approach people. Um, if, you, if there's a local artist in, in your neighborhood that's, you know, doing some music or doing some, trying to do some acting, like try to figure it out together. You know what I mean? Unite yourself with other people that have the same passion as you and, and create some ideas together. Social media is such a big platform now that you will develop yourself into that, into a publicist or a manager if you align yourself with the right people and you guys are planning and, and strategizing. That's the beauty. That. Back then, I didn't have that, <laughs> you know? So. We didn't have a lot of things back then, and we just made it work. We really had, like, I feel like we had no cho- no choice but to have that hustler spirit because nobody was going to come knocking at the door. Like, no, we just had to do what we had to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's my biggest advice. Um, funny enough, I have a small story, but Cardi B's publicist, Patience, was my intern. No way. Yeah. Crazy. So Patience, I met Patience four years ago, five years ago. And I was with Dasha. We were in Fashion Week and we were at Milk Studios. And she was like the clerk escorting different people that were checking in. I get there. The person for the brand is not downstairs to escort us. I don't know where we're going. I didn't do a walkthrough before. And this bubbly, curvaceous woman, very like 
with color in her hair and everything comes up to me and she's like I know who she is are you her publicist I was like yeah she goes I'm patience I was like oh I like your name she goes yeah I'm gonna guide you because I know this is a hot mess so she guided us she stayed with us started talking to her she goes hey are you looking for an intern because right now I have like a hair salon in Baltimore I'm a single mother and you know I I'm, I just started like doing this as a volunteer for fashion week because I want to get into PR and I was like yeah sure I'm actually looking for help I just can't afford to pay you because you know it's not as luxurious as as you as it may seem and she's like I'll take it doesn't matter met with her a week later she came in she came with like full red outfit, red hair. <laughs> and I was like, okay, she's very eccentric, you know? And I was like, but I loved it. I loved her sassiness. And we started talking together and everything. And then a couple of weeks later, she's like, hey, I just want to be honest with you. Um, I've been helping um, an artist, you know, do her PR. And I'm like, but I thought you weren't a publicist. She goes, just a little bit I've learned, like I've picked up, but I know her manager and I approached him one time and they said, we're looking for a publicist and I've been helping them with PR. She goes, do you know who Cardi B is? I was like, no, I don't know. And she's like, oh, she's from Love and Hip Hop. I was like, oh yeah, I don't watch that show. You know, I stay clear from the reality show stuff. And she goes, well, they're, they're interested in meeting with us to see if we could do her PR. I was like, I gotta be honest with you. I can't go from being the virgin, orange is the new black to like Love and Hip Hop. I was like, I have to stay true to myself and stay true to what my clients represent. And she goes, I understand. I was like, but I think you should do it. I was like, you should do it. And if you need help or you need any contacts, like, let me know. A month later, they hired her internally. And then uh, six months later, Cardi B was Cardi B. Wow. That's a great story. I and love that you have been supporting all these women. Yeah. And, you know, um, we still talk. I, I still send her, like, love and, and you know, her and I were in Paris, no, Milan about last year with, she was with Cardi, I was with Maluma and I was like, they really want to meet each other. So we all hung out and she's very supportive and she has so much love for Dasha because that's how her and I met. So her and Cardi, you know, have a, lo a lot of love for each other as well. So, you know, and when she was going through her time where they, the team unfortunately stopped working with her, I, I would send her some messages like stay strong, stay true to yourself and look, she's back. So, you know, I respect people like that. I've worked with, you know, other women in the Latin industry that needed Anglo contacts for like a Nikki Jam or this person or that person. And I never, I never said no. Even when I didn't have my superstar or superstars, you know, I never said no. I help whoever I needed to help. And, you know, that's just been it. Pay but that's why you're blessed. But we need to change that. We need to change, like, you know, we, we want to. With this podcast is exactly what we want to do is we want to help women support women. Like, you know, we want to foster that mentality, foster that support. Like, even though, like, I don't really see Kanessa all the time, but when I do see her, we're always DMing, showing love to each other, and just saying, like, yo, I see you. You're doing great. Like, keep going. Because you never know. There's a lot of shit people go through. Like, I didn't even know you were homeless. So... You just never know who you're, like, going to keep pushing without even knowing it. Yeah. Um, everybody has a story, right? That's the beauty of what we do. And, um, you know, that's why I support women like you because you guys are trying to tell those stories to encourage others. And I just really hope that people are really listening and understanding and taking it in because we all have, we're all going through different things, but we can all relate to one another. 
A hundred percent. So, you know, yeah, I think within this industry, everything's just so competitive. And I'm in the Anglo side of things, things are not that competitive. That's the funny part. In the Latin industry, I've learned everything's so competitive. They need to be the first Latin this, the first Latin that. And I'm just like... Because it's so new and shiny right now. That's yes, what it is. Let's, let's just say it when it's real. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you will be held accountable at one point. So I teach my clients that. But but yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of everything we're doing and all my clients like dasha's years next year like finally like so many years in this industry and we want to have her on the podcast she's so awesome just for anything dope she's man the gems that come out of that woman's mouth is like amazing i'm happy Uh, i heard her podcast with um carla morrison on apple yeah she's so good yeah just the vibes the vibes no and she's one of my closest friends she's like family um, you know, we've been through it. We've been through it to get to where she is. And next year, she's having six projects and films and lead roles. And I, you know, I'm just very proud of her. And she's also changed so much. This is new for her, you know. For a lot of our clients, it's new. That's why we treat it very delicate because, you know, you don't want them to go into a mental breakdown. You could easily go left. So, yeah. Oh. What keeps you dynamic? Or what mm-hmm. makes you what makes you dynamic? My what heart. That? My, <laughs> heart. My heart. heart. I love that. My heart is dynamic. I, I work with so much passion, so much soul. I'm very caring for others. Sometimes too much that I put, you know, them first, which I'm learning. Boundaries. But yeah, I, I I don't say no to, to, to helping others. If I say no to a client right now, I've always been very selective is because I just want to make sure that the person's at the level that we're in from the heart, from the passion, from the work, and that their story is really genuine and it's going to impact others and that they're going to grow with strategies that are going to help the world globally and just, you know, change people's perspective on, on how they view things whether it's through music or if they do a campaign or if they do charity work. But yeah. Service. Mm-hmm. So definitely in my heart. I love that. What's next for you, Kanessa? For you, like you, Kanessa. Nice <laughs> <laughs> <Like> clients. Aw. <laughs> uh, clients are you? <laughs> um, I think for, for me, it's figuring this out with Nancy during a pandemic. We've been very blessed where we haven't lost any of our clients. We've actually been approached by so many. We've actually done so many big RFPs for major, major artists, like global, big, big superstars. And we didn't get it. But I think for us, the next thing is to make our clients those icons and work with what we have. We just keep saying like, yeah, if we have a new client. That's great. It's more money. Good for us. But let's work on the ones that we're working on now. Make them icons disrupt continue to disrupt but we want to perfect the side of we've gotten a lot of pushback by a lot of people in the industry like how do you guys do it you're doing it all management branding styling pr image consulting social media consulting i'm like yeah we do it all and we've gotten a lot of pushback so for us it's going to be working more and showing more of how we do that all collectively and then personally for me i want to find I want to find other types of industries to invest in 
So I'm doing my homework on other types of businesses to start for myself separately. And um, creating a home, you know, I've never done that. And I finally met the right person. Uh, and, yeah. Us, my man, well, Alex is married. You go, girl. <laughs> I feel the, the single struggle, you know, and it's hard when you're like a woman about your business. I'm, you know, powerful in your own right. It's sometimes difficult. Guys but it's are always threatened. When guys are always threatened by like what I do, I never tell people what I do. I stay quiet. Even when my boyfriend now he introduces me to some of his friends and they're like, "Oh, what do you do?" And I'm like, "Oh, I just I'm I just work on stuff." Like I stay very quiet because <laughs> that's like opening the door to so many things for people to want to be your friend for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I do with that a lot. The hard way. <laughs> yeah. So with him, he's he's just teaching me those things. But um, yeah, be, before being single is hard. Well, I'm so happy for you. And I honestly, thank you so much for your time. I honestly think people are going to really be inspired by your story. And, and I love that we are telling the parts that are not so, you know, nobody knows. Because they everybody thinks, oh, wow, she's amazing. She does this. But there's a struggle. There's a journey. And that journey has led you to where you are today. And we're so proud of you. And thank you for being on here. Thank you. I just want to say one thing. Um, please check in on others. Please. Sometimes they won't tell you right away. They'll be like, oh, I'm fine. Try to find ways to really ask the question if they're doing okay. Because during this pandemic, obviously, people have developed anxiety, depression, whatever the case is. Or it's very scary right now. Everything's uncertain. So just ask whether it's your mom, if she's okay. Try to find the wording that will make it make them open up because it'll go a long way. And let's be kinder to one another. Because a smile... Or being respectful, working as a, t a team member and communicating. And even if you're not understanding each other, but try to understand each other. If you're on a team, if you're part of a company, or even if you work at McDonald's, you know, just take advantage to, to learn communication and, and, and work united. That's, That's gonna, We're all going to win. It's not about one person winning. It's everybody. It's about winning. the collective. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> so much thank you thank you everyone for listening till next time you're listening to girls gone boss hosted by alex and gabby i love you guys oh yeah